0: Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb, and it is Historic Day today. Brian, are you excited?
1: Always excited to talk about Historic. Well, wait, that's not true. Uh, presently excited to talk about Historic. Historic yes. has, has been through ups and downs, but uh, pretty good right now, having, having some fun playing games of Historic.
0: Because we got some new cards, Yes
1: yeah yeah they had a lot to do with it, although the set in general an odd one to say the least, like there there are some impactful cards, but very few and then a bunch of stuff that you're just like, huh w- what is this doing here?
0: A lot of cards that I'd never seen before I ag- agreed uh, <laughs> no. the
1: the green mutate creature whose name I definitely don't know is the one that comes to mind where I was just like, what is this and where has it come from?
0: You mutate onto stuff and then you beast within their lands, I guess is the joke
1: yep. Yeah, I, I built a deck around it. Like it was interesting. O- okay ish, I would say. Uh, it, it's a big body. It's a 6 6. The mutate cost is 4. You constrain your opponent's lands. And then in historic, you're able to do like Ancient Ziggurat, play all creatures. You have Amori as your companion. And then it's like Rampaging Ferocida. Oh, is that the right card? No, I'm thinking of the other one. The, the two mana, yeah, make your stuff cheaper thing. And then you have polywog symbiote and it's fine. It's like a, a fine tier two point five deck. So if that's the <laughs> goal, mission mission accomplished. You created a tier two point five deck for some people to play. That is historic the format. Tier 2.5. Yeah, kind of. In, in some ways, it, it splits when you get to like the actual competitive events and you see the small nucle- smaller nucleus of the same decks. But when you're playing on ladder, uh, the experience can be very diverse for sure.
0: Correct. So I was mostly excited about 3-bit Inspector because white as a color has really just not been fully present through even like a a lot of the bigger events like there are some kind of like meme-ish decks that exist with the various white creatures but it hasn't really been a thing at the top levels and white like the, the format has a lot of creature decks right it has had a lot of creature decks throughout the entirety like no matter what deck was actually the best deck at any given time there was always something like Rack of Sacrifice or gruel or Elves or whatever. And just like the, the white creature decks were never able to get past like that tier 2.5 level. And I think Thraban Inspector does a lot to help that. And we saw kind of the same thing in Standard where it was like you get Usher of the Fallen, you get Redane, and it really doesn't take a whole lot to push like a bunch of marginal creatures into the spotlight.
1: I think that's a great assessment. And it has unfortunately not played out that way for me i'm I'm curious about your experiences actually playing these Draven inspector decks because I was as excited as you were I, I like when I saw the anthology this was actually the card I was most excited about I'm like this is going to unlock a bunch of stuff but there's this level of ancillary value you need to squeeze out of the, like, it like it can't just be a one two that draws you a card like that's fine it's it's almost acceptable but for it to catapult a deck into the next level to be a tier one deck to really change the metagame you've got to get some value out of that body and and the best way to do it was always like crew this smokeless copter that was that was easy mode and obviously there's nothing like that that exists right now I, i've seen people do like yuri and stuff and that's enough i've seen people go pure beatdown. that has not impressed me I, I don't think just like playing a white aggro deck with raven inspector really does anything to actually benefit your strategy even when you're doing stuff that like you know, can render these irrelevant bodies a little bit better in terms of Anthem effects or pump spells or wh- whatever go-wide tactics you want to use. It hasn't really come to fruition for me yet. So I'm curious what your experience has been.
0: Unfortunately, a lot of the same. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, 3 Inspector definitely helps. It does fill a gap that these decks had, but unfortunately they still have a few other gaps. They're mm-hmm. missing like, not not good removal. You have things uh, like Baffling End or Glass Casket, Declaration in Stone now also as a result of Historic Anthologies, but, you know, the, the Black decks have things like Fatal Push and Thoughts. like these one-mana interactive spells, and they have, like, really good instant speed removal at two-mana that doesn't come with a downside like Declaration in Stone has, uh, or it's not really as limited as the Baffling Ends and stuff like that are. So, it's still lacking a little bit and just, I don't know, man, the, the black one drops are just so far and above what every other color has in this format where it's, it's really difficult for me to be like, okay, I want to play an aggressive deck. Like, is there a reason to get away from black mana? And unfortunately that doesn't really seem to be the case. So white either needs better interaction, which really it doesn't have in any format, like path to exile, I guess is like the thing that you could make a case for. Yeah. maybe appearing in this format at some point. It, but it would be
1: very high on my inclusion list. If you like gave me control over Historic, I, I think Path to Exile would be one of the first cards I would add. I'm not saying it would fix any of these problems because like, right. that tends to be more of a control card than like an ancillary removal spell in an aggressive deck. But yep. it, it could very easily slot into this format, is more my point than anything else.
0: Yeah, and there are cards that have propped up white in the past, like Knight of the White Orchid, even things like Spell Queller. Uh, gives you more of a reason to be in white than maybe you otherwise would have. And Thrabian Inspector is definitely one of those cards too. But without kind of like all of them together or a lot of similar things like that, where white is actually getting a bunch of power level from these things, it, it just kind of like falls short compared to the other options. And right now it seems like white's place, like there, there is the, the hyper-aggressive like 21 drop deck that, mm. that you mentioned. And I think that that deck is fine but I think the place where white could potentially settle into historic is being like the mid range creature deck that also beats the other creature decks Uh, because a lot of the tools are there, but we're not quite there yet. Like you still need something kind of like in the two, three, four mana range. I think that would help it a lot, but you have a, a lot of tools, you know, you have Ranger Vios, monuments, Monument, uh, Thalia helps you a lot too, but then you just get run over by like Gruul and Sacrifice and you don't have yeah. ways to like break up their engines and stuff. So you're just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this stuff instead of that stuff? And until those questions get answered, you know, White probably isn't going to be in the tier one range, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, the the imbalance is so strange to me, where cards like Thoughtseize and Fatal Push exist in one color, and then white is like, well, I guess we'll give you Declaration in Stone. And you're you're just playing different games, different eras of magic. One is one of the all-time premium discard spells. One is a stopgap that saw some play in standard. And either you unlock all the colors, or you end up with a very strong incentive to go in a particular direction. And I, I do think there's a decent white deck out there. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we move through our show today, but you're right that nothing has really shined thus far. Dramoka's command,
0: Gideon, ally Zendikar, you know, these were things that kind of propped up white decks before, and we just don't have any of that.
1: Yeah. You know, we'll see how historic continues to expand. Certainly nobody knows the roadmap for this format. I, I, sincerely mean that. I think nobody, including Wizards of the Coast, actually knows where this format is going. It's this random mishmash of things that is working against all expectations. So that's not me trashing the format. I actually quite enjoy the format, but I I don't think it has any real plan or purpose or end goal in mind. It's just going to continue to be a bunch of cards. And where things really got weird for me was where this Time Spiral Remastered set exists and doesn't become part of Historic because it seemed like it was sort of custom made to serve this base um, and to put some more money in pockets, but it's not doing that. It, it's doing something else in the paper space instead. So I, I have no clue where historic is going at this point. And I don't think anyone else does either.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. So by far the most impactful card from anthologies has been death shadow and, like I was surprised by how excited everyone seemed to be to build around this card and maybe it was because it was really kind of like the only new card in the set that is very obviously powerful so like everyone just mm-hmm. latched onto it and wanted to try the new thing but like I don't remember this being there being this many death shadow fans out there
1: I think you identified the reason why I think it's just there's there's not too much else to do here and even like Raven inspector, mostly a support card like you you don't build an entire deck around the theme of draven inspector for the most part and death shadow very much demands you solve its puzzle you have to understand exactly what you're trying to achieve with your deck you have to understand how you're managing your life total what styles of interaction are you supposed to play all of those things matter so so much so in a world where what we're doing is building decks as opposed to actually settling in for a tournament which we're going to do this weekend for the first time but have it up until this point if the goal is just deck building i completely understand why the focus is on death shadow because it presents the most interesting puzzle is that puzzle going to translate into this is the new best deck that's where i get a little skeptical although i i've been impressed with my own death shadow decks and i think a lot of people are doing stuff wrong with their death shadow decks that hopefully we can clear up a little bit and maybe that'll help some other people get to a place where their death shadow decks can start to compete as well because the power level feels like it's there for me and being backed up by thoughtsies is obviously a huge boon
0: yeah i mean you like we talked about there being thoughtsies and fatal push and those are a very strong incentive to be black and once you realize that you want to play that color it's like well okay what is the rest of my deck doing and typically in kind of like Jund fashion, right? Like you have these cards that are potentially dead later on, like Thoughtseize, you want to be able to end the game pretty quickly. And Death Shadow kind of solves that puzzle. So it, it does make sense that a lot of people would be drawn to it because they want to play the best cards in the format. And those cards happen to also be in the color black. So where do you go from there? when you're building a Death Shadow deck? Because, you know, there's there's no Street Wraith, there's no Team or Battle Rage type of thing. We do have a secondary threat in Scourge of the Skyclaves, but what was your deck building process like?
1: So starting point was I, I needed to find, well, starting point is just like put Death Shadow in my deck, make something that looks close to modern style Death Shadow decks and see what I'm dealing with. And what very quickly became apparent was that You do not have the tools to effectively manage your own life total. Uh, You know, Street Wraith is a really important one, but more importantly, Fetchlands. And using the Fetchland mana base is what really gave you that fine-tuned control over your life total. And the other thing you were lacking was tools to actually play that super long game and to just trade resources, trade resources, trade resources, play my last Death Shadow and Teamer Battle Rage it, and that's how I win the game. And that's how these modern Death Shadow decks have operated for a long time. That's not how these historic Death Shadow decks are supposed to operate, in part because of the lack of team or battle rage, but there's some other pieces missing as well. Things like Colligan's Command were a huge part of that attrition-based strategy. And a lot of the lists I've seen are just like kind of Rakdos retreads seems to be the most popular way to build this deck. And I just find myself asking why? Like, why are you trying to do this as opposed to? playing the already very, well, the already very good multiple Rakdos decks, right? Like there's Rakdos Sacrifice, there's Kroxa, there's several ways to build Rakdos that I think all do better jobs of doing the core Rakdos game plan than Death Shadow builds. So I started asking the question, how else do I effectively manage my life total? Obviously, the uh, modal double face cards like Agadim's Awakening come into play. They're very, very effective tools for doing so. But more importantly for me was the moment you actually suggested Adanto Vanguard to me. And I think that's really where my deck started to get to a good place because not only did I now have a way to pressure opponents and move my deck from the idea of, oh, I'm going to just play forever and actually force my opponent to difficult decisions, I also had a way where I was able to quickly... And with some degree of fine control, obviously like there's a bunch of spots where you wish the number of life you were paying was less than four, but still that number tends to break down into pretty good multiples I found. And and you get yourself to the total you need to be at very quickly. Once I unlocked that, it felt like I really had all the tools I needed under my belt. And then I'm like, okay, how do you get the best of both worlds? How do you extend games and also have access to this really quick finish? And my find was Ranger of Eos, which I've seen almost nobody else play. And I'm sort of dumbfounded because I, I think it's one of the best possible things you can do with Death Shadow because the secondary part of it is you also get to unlock your own team or battle rage in the form of fairy godmother, uh, fairy guide mother, excuse me. So once all this came together, I thought I had a really nice take on the Death Shadow deck and I continue to do really well with it.
0: So the original builds of Shadow in modern were capable of playing longer games, but it wasn't the ideal game plan. It was more so they were able to do that because they had low land counts, uh, kind of thanks to Traverse, but also just because they played a bunch of zero and one mana spells, right? Mm-hmm. So they had low land counts and they had a high spell density and therefore like high threat density and drawing like an extra Thoughtseize on turn eight or something was not that big of a deal because you still had a bunch of gas in the tank. And then obviously there was stuff like Hologon's Command where it's a good two for one against you know, Aethervile decks, like Aethervile creature decks, whatever. And also allowed you to play longer games against control and stuff like that. And yeah, we ju- we just don't have those pieces. Uh the Rakdos decks in Historic are trying to be able to play that longer game, but in in Modern, it's different, man. Like you said, the the fetches being able to pay you know one life and get a basic or get a shock and, like, have some control over that, where it's like, do you need a 6-6 six, six or a 4-4 four, four or a 9-9 nine, nine or whatever? You've got to pick and choose. And it's a, a little bit different in Historic, where, you know, maybe you want to pay one life, but you don't. You would have to pay three or four instead to get the effect. And it's like, well, is, is that worth it? And in the moment, it might be, but then that means that instead of juggling your life total for the rest of the game at, like, six, you're at three instead. And that's much more difficult. So, basically, everything lends itself to you can't play longer games in Historic with Death Shadow.
1: Agreed. That's That's been my experience. No matter how I tried to build the deck, I, I ultimately came back to the idea of I need to win. I don't get to just sit forever. And like I said, Adanto Vanguard does such a good job of that because it, it does interact well with a lot of the widely played removal spells in the format. It dodges most of the stuff. There's exceptions, but I've been very happy with its survivability. It also comes with a click- quick clock and as soon as I got demonic embrace into the mix as well which is another way of possibly controlling your own life total but more importantly brings evasion to the table because when you're lacking team or battle rage you, you can't just throw your death shadow into a wall of creatures over and over. You're not going to find the window to close the game effectively enough. So you do need to have evasion mechanisms be it fairy guide mother or something like Demonic Embrace and then Demonic Embrace plus Adanto Vanguard just opens up your beatdown plan so dramatically. So I'm just winning a bunch of games on like turn 5 where my opponent doesn't have the appropriate answers but also able to do the death shadow thing in part driven by the longevity of Ranger of Eos.
0: Yeah, uh, it it is worth noting for sure that the creature decks tend to go super wide because Collected Company is the best creature payoff card in the format, and the vast majority of creature decks are playing it. So the need for Teemer Battle Rage in modern has subsided, or like ebbed and flowed, I guess, you know, like subsided and then came back. But yeah, you, you just need it in historic. I wanted to be able to build a deck where... You didn't need it and just killed all their stuff and just played this long game, but the games yeah, don't really Yeah, those games don't work out. So for the Rakdos decks, playing like Dreadhorde Arcanist and Claim to Fame and stuff like that alongside Death Shadow, I just think that it's not a very good idea. I mean, you, th- you think about a lot of the games where the Rakdos deck wins against things like Gruel and Rakdos Sacrifice, it's usually at a high life to or a low life total anyway, and you can't afford to just be like paying life. To turn on your Death Shadows early because you're you're just eventually going to get chipped out by these decks. So if you're gonna play Death Shadow, play it in a beatdown deck, which is very different from modern, because you could do that in modern, but it it was always better to just have shadow instead of like I I wrote this article a while ago that was basically equating like some forms of like tarmogoyf decks to Merfolk decks right like you could play like three lords and have the effect of one tarmogoyf uh so instead i i generally built decks with like tarmogoyf and a bunch of like removal and interaction and stuff like that and then there are the creature decks that would just have a pile of creatures because that's what they needed to build a relevant threat mm-hmm. and it's, it's weird because now you're like, well, I have the Tarmogoyf, but in order to actually win with the Tarmogoyf, I need a bunch of other like crappy creatures too. But like, that is just what you have to do based on what the format looks like.
1: I think so. I, I think that's, it's a little bit unintuitive. Uh, like you said, there are some tensions there, but it's just the conclusion I've reached and doing the, doing the Rakdos approach, I've just couldn't shake this it wasn't like i would lose consistently or the deck wasn't good it just felt like i was winning on the back of something else like i hadn't made a death shadow deck i was just kind of leveraging the good rakdos cards which get better in other shells they don't need death shadow around them whereas there is a way to actually leverage death shadow present in the format
0: yeah so i i suggested a danto vanguard to you and if if i remember correctly i also said i'm pretty sure it's not
1: good you were wrong you were incorrect It, it is great
0: so the, the reason why I thought it was not good was that I didn't think that, like, the creature-heavy, like, Death Shadow stuff was going to make sense. But, yeah, after, like, actually playing games and stuff, it does make a lot of sense. And, I mean, I, I guess we should talk about Scourge, too, because this fits into a lot of it, where, like, Scourge of the Skyclaves, we talked about this in modern episodes, where you need... You, you can't just, like, rely on your opponent to, like, deal themself damage. So what you need is a one drop that is almost certainly going to get in for at least a point. And usually that means haste traditionally Hasted, that is yeah. mid haste. Yeah. So monastery Swiss spear, like you could lightning bolt your opponent like that worked in a pinch too. If you knew that you're up against a combo deck or something like that, bow courier is one that I think is fine based on the lower power level of historic, but because of the fact that there are so many creature decks and like it doesn't brawl very well, it's really unreliable. Uh, in its ability to actually like, get in that point of damage, and you know, all, all the all the creature decks aren't loaded up on shocklands, and they're not necessarily like playing death shadow and stuff like that, right? So there's no actual guarantee that your scourge is going to be live.
1: Yeah, and it just underwhelmed me so much in the games I was playing, and I started with high numbers of scourge because you're just like, oh yeah, more death shadows. Obviously, this is what I want just not an impressive card with when you don't have the proper support stuff i'm, I'm not saying it's a bad card overall i'm saying in the historic format where we you're trying to build without those typical reach elements or the hasty creatures it wasn't working for me, and, and my deck. You know, it's not like Death Shadow is the only one drop in my deck. I have Knight of the Ebon Legion as well, so there, there are ways to force that damage early. They're just not reliable enough. They're not fast enough, and it was leading to me having Scourge of the Skyclaves that I just couldn't leverage well enough in my games. And I think that you can you can bear having some number of cards that aren't going to be live immediately in your hand. Like that's completely fine. You are signing up for that with things like Death Shadow but where you cross into like two cards that you can't leverage right away, three cards that you can't leverage right away, you start having some problems. So my current list only has one copy of Scourge of the Skyclaves. I think you need to ask yourself very carefully, am I routinely doing this early damage? Do I have mechanisms to ensure that's on the table every single game, be it shock, be it some hasty creature? And I think people are playing too many copies of the card without having access to those type of mechanisms.
0: Yeah, so I've seen some mono blacklists that have you know, Knight of the Ebony Legion, of course, and then things like Dread Wanderer and uh the other the other one drop. What's the other one drop?
1: It's on the tip of my brain and it's not coming out. It's so close, Jerry. So close.
0: Gutter Bones. That's the one. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. I, I want it to be Blood Soap Champion because that card's like actually good, but it's not in the format.
1: No, nah, you get gutter bones instead.
0: Yep. Uh, so yeah, you can you can play a bunch of one-drops and then Shadow and Scourge in mono-black, and I think that's fine. But circling back to what you noted earlier, Ranger of Eos, I, I think that that is a phenomenal card in this deck, especially once you're committing to having a Danto Vanguard, Knight of the Ebon Legion, just more threats in general, things that stand stand up like on their own, can wear Demonic Embrace pretty well. Then you have Ranger of Eos, which is a solid body on its own and just gasses you up with more Shadows or Fairy Guide Mother to get in like that last hit and lets you grind against control decks with a, a bunch of sweepers. So I, also, I like you your to take pick a lot.
1: Up, you get to pick up a removal spell as well in the form of Giant Killer, which is, is really cool and has won me many, many games just having access to the one Giant Killer in the main deck. So I wouldn't go bonkers with your toolbox. I, I think it's a very small thing. You're, you're supposed to mostly be getting Death Shadow, but those two one-offs that I'm playing in my list right now, the one of Fairy Guide Mother and the one of Giant Killer have been useful in spades, and I, I wouldn't cut either one.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. There's obviously a lot of temptation to go super deep down the rabbit hole, like maybe in this situation, I want this or this, but it, realistically, I mean, if you get Death Shadow and one of those two utility creatures or just two shadows, wh- what else do you really need?
1: Yeah, I, I flirted with, like, Machaeus. The Lunark is a card you can get. Uh, there's, like, Stone Coil Serpent. And ultimately, it was just like, I don't need these. I I have good options. These are ancillary and a little silly. And I'd rather just use the... At the stage where I'm able to make a large Machaeus or a large Stone Coil Serpent, I probably just want to play two Death Shadows on that turn instead. So
0: Yep, agreed. Yeah, so White Black kind of ended up coming together uh i know that you started with raven inspector and skyclave apparition and apparition is one of those cards that i would like to get into the deck if possible mostly because people are playing a-, a lot of death shadows and i don't know if that's going to hold up over time because i would almost certainly expect a lot of people to like play these Rakdos decks and then just eventually realize that it's a bad version of the old Rakdos deck mm-hmm. but uh certainly right now when we're in death shadow land skyclave apparition is very nice
1: It would be nice. I I think there's two strikes against it in my particular list. The first being like you're leaning aggressive. So if you're playing a more reactive card, not to say that's like Skyclave Apparition can't clear the way, but it definitely leans more towards the controlling side of the spectrum, I would say, than being an actual aggressive card. So in those instances, I'd rather just have something aggressive. But the bigger problem is that I wanted to play Castle Octoane. And I don't think you can actually build your mana base in such a way where you have reliable access to the double white you need on turn three and you still get to play Castle Loctwain because you're required to play way more planes at that point. My current list is one plane, six swamps. So and then, of course, there's the four godless shrines on top of that. So I have a good chance of playing my Castle Dwayne's on top. But if you if you just have like three swamps in your deck and you're trying to play Castle Loctwain, good luck. You're just in for a nightmare.
0: I've seen that a lot already and I don't like it. I th- I think that that's also just very very awkward and you're you're priced into playing four agadeem's awakenings mm-hmm. just straight up. So uh you're you're going to have to do that and you have to take castle into account. How good is castle actually? Because you're playing all of the black disruption and cheap interaction and stuff like that and it seems like okay, you go hellbent or pretty close to it, you activate castle, like that's kind of the dream scenario for a lot of these black decks. And it comes at a relatively low opportunity cost. But then you also think about how you're trying to get down to, you know, like eight or six life. And how many times can you actually activate the castle anyway? You know, it's just, it's kind of weird to me.
1: What castle has done more for me than actually just doing that grindy thing where it like draws me a bunch of cards. is just hit me for like five or six in a crucial spot and make my death shadow very large. Which is not what I expected to get from the card. But as soon as I had access to that the thought of playing without it was troubling to me because it just created so many scenarios where, like, blocking wasn't possible for my opponent. And the the card certainly matters. Like, I, I'm not saying I've never been in the hellbent situation and, like, you're searching for a Ranger of Eos. But in my list, which is playing for a Ranger of Eos, that's generally how things go. Like, you use your early resources, you play Ranger of Eos, and now your grip is full-ish again, and you're not out of stuff to do. So, so I could see certainly getting away from, like, the two copies I'm presently playing and just playing one. But that scenario has been very important for me, just really aggressive management of my life total. And just, I guess it's not uncertainty, but another thing that my opponents have to account for when they're already making very difficult life total management decisions against me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I could see that. I, if if nothing else, you know, if you have a couple Death Shadows attacking, you have this threat of hitting yourself for four, and making those things lethal, so then maybe they have to chump block a little bit earlier than they would have to. And yep. I can certainly imagine games too, where it's like, if you don't draw Danto Vanguard, you don't draw Agonim's Awakening, you know, it's, it's really difficult to actually get yourself into a position where the shadows are at a relevant size too.
1: Absolutely. It, it comes up way more than I thought it would at first. And one of the concessions I had to make was just playing more copies of Feed the Swarm. And then as I played more Feed the Swarm, I'm like, oh, I just want Feed the Swarm. This card is great it does many things i want to do in this format it, it kills everything which is a big deal and i'm usually happy to like take five damage from killing a urian or something like that and then there's these random enchantments you have to also have to account for as well and it's come up over and over for me that i'm able to use feed the swarm to great effect so i have two copies in my main deck right now i don't think three is unreasonable honestly and i i like i have a split of two feed the swarm a heartless act i might just play three feed the swarm it's really been excellent
0: yeah, it gets a lot easier to do that too when you are leaning into the aggressive aspect. Correct. You're, you're like, I'm the beatdown in a lot of instances, so then the life that you're paying doesn't actually bite you all that much versus something like Rakdos that's far more passive and the life that you're paying actually does matter.
1: Yeah, th- this is all obviously contingent on what the format looks like right now. I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of raw aggression. There's no real like mono red deck that I'm facing a lot right now. Obviously, like, Gruel is out there, which is pretty aggressive, but you're still happy with your role against them because they tend to rely on the sizing of their creatures, and you get to a point where you outsize them. Uh, It can also outgrind them, and their reach is weird. Like Certainly, they do have the ability to win games out of nowhere, and instant speed removal helps with that. So the move to feed the swarm is going to hurt you there, but I'm just not seeing a ton of gruel or mono red on the ladder right now. If that changes for tournament scenarios, which it very well could, you might have to be more cautious with your move towards feed the swarm.
0: Uh, One last point I want to make about death shadow is watching streams like the first week or so after anthologies came up and like people playing in mirror matches is the death shadow state-based effects stuff where I would see people getting attacked by two creatures and they would have a shadow that was like smaller than the other two creatures. Like say your shadow is a one, one and they're attacking with two four, fours. They would just like take the damage, which is like fine. You know, maybe there's a reason to take the damage and get your thing up to a nine, nine or whatever, but you can block one of the things with the death shadow, take the four damage. And then your death shadow is a five, five with four points of damage on it.
1: Uh, so, Death yeah, Shadow it, is a, a weird card to play with and forces you to do very weird math over and over.
0: Yeah, so be be aware of those scenarios. And, I mean, certainly if you're on the attacking side of things, too, because I, this happened to me in a Grand Prix. Like, I got attacked by a Tarmogoyf in a Death Shadow, in a Shadow Mirror, and my opponent thought I had to jump block with my Shadow, and I just, like, blocked with it. It outgrew his stuff, and it killed him on the swing back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, stuff like stuff like that happens. It comes up a lot because, again, a lot of creature decks, a lot of Death Shadows, like there's a lot of creature combat. And a lot of the time you, you just end up in these weird scenarios where you're playing like Drago or you're only attacking with one creature instead of both of them. Uh, so, yeah, pay attention to that.
1: I think that's really good advice because I'm sure a lot of people are having their first experiences with Death Shadow right now. You know, the arena space is welcoming a lot of new players and maybe they aren't familiar with modern and they haven't lived through the years of death shadow that we have at this point and it is a goofy card it does strange things and forces you to change your game plan and I, I really like I, I think you're getting some wins right now again this is like a ladder thing so maybe less important for tournament play but I think you're getting some wins right now from people who just don't understand how to play with and against the card right now and if that persists over to tournament play you should certainly take advantage of that in this window
0: yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, I think, like I said, I think Brian's list is the best shadow list that I've seen, and I would still probably change some stuff. But uh, no changes far-
1: allowed. It's perfect. Okay, fine.
0: fine. Copy paste. Uh, y- you could do worse if you just copy paste his deck list too. So if for right now, I would definitely advise that.
1: No, I- I'm obviously fine with changes. I-, I think everything is very much in flux, and uh, I-, I have cards that I feel strongly about. There's things that I'm trying out um i'm going to go ahead and make sure i post my most recent list over in our discord so people there can see the most recent list but i've also posted it over on twitter and you're you're within one or two cards of what i'm playing now if you go look at my twitter account and want to see exactly what it looks like
0: yeah i think i saw it in in, uh your star city
1: article also in my star city article which was free this week by the way so you can you can go check that out as well
0: all right then anything else you want to say about shadow or even like ractos arcanist
1: like I said, I, I think when it comes to Rakdos Shadow, just play Rakdos Arcanist. That deck is still good. It, it's always good. It, it's always at least acceptable. People don't love it for whatever reason. I continue to love it. I think it's a great deck, but there, it doesn't need to be Shadow. I, I think the Shadow deck should be Orzhov, at least for the time being.
0: Okay. Uh, what about the other Rakdos deck? Or Jund deck, I suppose.
1: So if I had to just play a tournament for high stakes and you force me to play right now, I think I'm probably still playing Jun Sacrifice. And may- maybe that's the coward's way out, and I should just lean into what I believe is a pretty good deck in the form of this Orzov Death Shadow deck. But the Jun deck is just so consistent, so good. Uh, it's got so many different game plans. And also, I think it has a really good shadow matchup for the most part. Like the fact that they have claimed the firstborn and just get to snatch your shadows away from you is, is problematic. I, I've found okay success against the deck. I'm not going to say I'm favored. And I could probably get better if I wanted to go as far as like playing Ley Line as opposed to the graveyard cards I'm playing right now, but that that's not really the problem. Like The problem is a little bit broader than that, and the fact that they have burst damage and so many ways to control your shadows. I, I think this deck still just remains at the top of the mountain and doesn't really need any changes based on historic anthology. If you've been playing a lot of this deck, you can just keep playing it and continue to do well.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I was a big proponent of Rakdos, and I think that Rakdos instead of Jund like basically just playing without collected company is good in some metagames but like the more the more creature decks that exist I feel like the more you need company to kind of catch up against them which is Mm -hmm. sort of a a double-edged sword because you invest all this mana and sometimes it just bricks or it comes you come away with like a one drop and a two drop and it's not really what you're what you're hoping for but like the, the big hits where you get like a devil and a cat to go with your oven or two devils when you have some stuff in play already. It's just easy mode at that point. So I think that the consistency, both with like Collected Company in general and the mana base is not great, but you kind of need that for this format right now.
1: Yeah, I begrudgingly agree with you. You know I'd look for any excuse to avoid Collected Company, but I, I would be playing it right now. I, I think that... Just the fact that that is where the creature decks have mushed around means that if you're choosing not to play it, you better have a real good reason or like some other alternate source of card advantage. And we're going to talk through a bunch of creature decks and they all either carry collected company or have some alternate engine. And I, I don't think just doing the sacrifice stuff is enough on its own to keep pace with everything else going on.
0: Well, let's uh, go through some Collected Company decks, I guess. Start with Gruul. I like Gruul a lot. Uh, I liked it before Burning Tree Emissary came back. When Burning Tree Emissary came back, that enabled you to play things like Galia because you're going super wide. And Mm -hmm. the thing I liked the most about the deck was just the prevalence of haste. And you had some ways to get card advantage and make it so you didn't flood out and stuff like that, but... Like, collecting company into a bunch of haste creatures is the best way to beat control decks and win races against other creature decks and stuff. And the more you can lean into that with stuff like Galia, the better. And Galia also just gives you, like, a backup engine, which is not that difficult to enable, especially once you have Burning Tree Emissaries. So, I like this deck a lot still.
1: I really like the flexibility of it. Uh, you know, it... it, it is a beatdown deck for sure, but when you're playing it, you don't always feel like you're playing a beatdown deck. You feel like you have more options than that, and it does feel in some ways like a more classic matchup when you play it against something like Control, where you have like timing windows you're looking to exploit with your collected companies, and you're very carefully managing resources and deciding how far to extend and trying to leverage haste threats. It's all very classic, uh, and it just feels consistent, powerful, and I would have no beef with anyone choosing to register this deck in a tournament either.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have much in the way of uh, technology or anything, but I don't know. It's, it seems like every gruel list that gets posted, like there's something cool in it uh, that I haven't tried or thought about yet. So I am definitely interested to see like what the final form looks like
1: yeah, we'll have to check results uh, of the SDG tour this weekend. Certainly this is uh, we went looking for other historic events that we could maybe <laughs> pluck some data from. Uh, they're, they're not really there right now. and it certainly needs some type of event to bring the format together. although I just found out well, I found out two things. First, there is a pro tour coming up in a couple of weeks. I wrote in my article that like there's no more big standard events. I was wrong. There's just a pro tour, which shows you how much tension I played it. I made to that these days, uh, but it's actually a split format pro tour. It's, it's historic and standard. So we're going to have the historic event for the SCG this weekend. And then when we get to the pro tour, we're going to get some data as well. So that'll be good points of checking in on where the format's at. But at this moment, we're lacking that for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked for that because dude, I keep trying to check on these match gone deck lists. Those have been down for God. Oh yeah. A little over a week now and there's not a historic queue on there. And obviously looking at like the arena historic deck list is not, waste not very realistic. Yeah. And so like there, there are some tournaments that are happening and it's always nice to get those results. Uh, this is, this is one of the instances that I just led to us founding the Twitter account, you know, where people send us deck lists and we retweet them and stuff because there wasn't a lot of information out in, on standard stuff and now i feel the same way about historic so we're i mean we're retweeting those deck lists but we need more send us your historic decks
1: yeah i don't i don't know if there's not a, a focus on that part of the ladder right now or if people are trying to keep things under wrap with a new historic uh base set recently coming out and this pro tour coming up very soon but hasn't been a huge huge influx of technology coming through over on that account. So if you've got something, go ahead and share it with us. We always like to get some eyeballs on your work. Uh, Also just do our part in keeping people up to date on the metagame.
0: There are always people out there who want the clout, you know, like you make it to mythic, you make it to mythic, you make it to like top 100 mythic or something. And it's like, you get a bunch of retweets, gives you those good brain chemicals. There are people who do that. Even if there's like a pro tour coming up that they're playing in, you know, like some people just don't care and I love it. So uh, there's there's no reason for everyone to be holding back at this point. We need the info.
1: Yeah, we, we know your stance on secrecy, uh, one that the Arena Decklist podcast, has long I've advocated, you get more from the collaboration than you do from keeping it under wraps. In the vast majority of scenarios, the vast vast majority.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the decklists that kind of took off because of Twitter is this Angels deck, and it just seems like every set had an angel card in it for like the last two or three years. And now we're finally at a point where you can build a reasonable deck. So uh, first there was Celestia angels with collected company. And then there was band splashing for Linvala. I think Celestia is much better, but you have like soul warden speaker of the heavens, righteous Valkyrie, Bishop of wings, uh, resplendent angel is definitely the card that, you know, has the most mileage in the deck, but like there's a lot of powerful cards in this deck is actually pretty good and does a good job at being the bigger creature deck.
1: Agree. I was, in, I was impressed by this one. I didn't expect to be, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Play this stupid angel deck, get it off my plate and then we can move on. And a couple games in, I was just like, Oh, wait, wait a second. This is, this is actually pretty good. And uh using youthful Valkyrie to glue the deck together was not something I thought we'd see, but that card's fine. And there's a weird quasi combo-ish element that sometimes takes off with things like Bishop of Wings and Speaker of Heavens where you're able to get real wide. Your life total is super, super padded. It just, just does a great job of getting these little points of uh, life gain over multiple turns. A Johnny's been like a decent planeswalker in some spots. I don't, I don't think you have to play it, but I, I've been pretty impressed with the card. And like you said, Collected Company is part of this as well. So... There's not, maybe not quite the same level of like collected company turn the game around stuff as there is in the Jund sacrifice decks, but you still have some really nice hits with collected company and games can turn on a dime. And a a shockingly good deck is what I'd say about this. I don't know that I'm like ready to register it in a tournament. I'm not sure the edges are there. I think it's like a good option in a sea of pretty good options. But if you had some technology that you think really pushed this over the top against the matchups you expected, you could talk me into playing this deck.
0: From my matches with this deck, one of the biggest issues I had was not not really like flooding out, but just kind of like running out of stuff to do. And I didn't really know if there was a good way to fix that. Like, huh, should I put like some secluded steps in my mana base or something? Like, I don't know if that actually solves the problem. So I'm, I'm looking to solve that first and foremost and also just monitoring the format to make sure that it doesn't become like accidentally hostile towards right. it. But I don't know. Yeah, for the most part, it, it looks pretty solid and uh, originally probably started as a meme deck. But here we are.
1: If this deck picked up a Horizon Canopy. It would, it would be a whole different ballgame. Yeah, It would be such a huge ad for this deck. Uh, yeah. Obviously, this is very wishful thinking, but, you know, m- maybe someday those cards come to historic. Keep it in mind this is exactly the deck that benefits from just getting a little bit more utility out of its mana base. Yep.
0: Uh, Goblins doesn't have collected company, does have Muxus, does have uh, a way to gain a very, very sizable advantage is still a deck that exists, but you see just like a lot of cages and witches Vengeances show up in people's sideboards, just kind of out of habit at this point. I think that's great because it means that, like, without those cards, goblins could potentially take over, but everyone continues to respect it, regardless of how much they play against it. So I think that that's a good move. The deck is obviously still very powerful, but does have a lot of problems against those cards.
1: It feels like the—I agree that most deck lists I see still seem to have those cards by default, but— we're right on that border where people are going, eh, do I really need this card? Maybe I could play two witches' vengeance instead of three witches. I mean, I mean, I'm doing it. That's why I'm telling you, like these conversations are starting to happen. And as soon as that happens, Goblins is poised for a breakout week, but I do think it's a deck that has to choose its spots in the metagame very carefully. I could see that we're on the cusp of that spot, possibly, but maybe it's still a week away. Maybe it's like gonna be the best deck for the Pro Tour again because people want to do flashy exciting things and goblins is kind of boring and we know it but if you don't prepare for it it'll beat your brains in so
0: yeah it's kind of like the nightmare for shadow too because you have a lot of stupid creatures that are fairly expendable and when it comes down to it you know you have the chump blockers needed to survive and yeah you really have
1: to get into the air against goblins, so you have no chance
0: yeah and all it really takes is just one top deck like matron or or muxus or something like that to get you back in the game so if, if the shadow decks keep looking like how they look and people are skimping on sideboard slots then goblins looks really good agreed uh what about elves another collected company deck another deck that has gotten a lot of uh pickups as of late but I don't know still still kind of like feels like meme status but some people are doing really well with it
1: worse goblins I think that's that's just where I fall on it it's doing a lot of similar stuff and I I don't really see an edge for it. I think Goblins does its thing more consistently. Elves doesn't really beat down with the fervor that I would like it to have for me to consider it as an option above the Goblins deck because it, it doesn't have its Muxus. It, it has Collected Company instead, and Muxus is just easy mode. So I, I'm not in on Elves right now. I I do think like the pieces are decent. I just think it's a little bit invalidated by other options out there. See,
0: I think that elves having a better backup plan is something that's in its favor, where it does, it does beat down pretty well, whereas goblins does not.
1: I guess it doesn't beat down well enough for me to be sold on the idea that it's actually a real backup plan. Like It, it can do it, but are you really winning games through that goal all that often? And what matchups are they swinging for you? Like That's the bigger question. Where, where did you find an edge because you're able to get this beat down plan?
0: I think it's all just other creature decks.
1: Okay. I, look, I haven't played with elves. I've played against it, and I've mostly smushed it, and haven't felt really all that pressured in doing so. But that's a very one-sided experience that could be based on the decks I'm playing and, you know, playing against improperly built elves decks. So if you've got a reason where you think this deck can bring something new to the table, I'm all for hearing it. I just haven't seen it myself yet.
0: Okay. Uh, I mean, I, so I think that you've been around long enough. I've been around long enough. We've almost certainly played against this deck in Modern a bunch or, you know, variants of it in Extended and stuff like that, where you know that if you contain them really well, it's hard for them to actually, you know, go super wide and, and beat you down and stuff like that. And maybe other people don't have that same experience. Maybe that's why it's doing well, but uh, could be. From from my experience, like playing with, playing against, watching some streams, it seemed like you have to go after things like Elvish Arch Druid, right? Because yep. that is yep. that's the, the power spike card in the deck. But then that opens the door for what's what's the new the call time card that like makes tokens mm-hmm. Warmaster or something?
1: Yeah, something like that. Uh, there's too many elves at this point. We can't be expected to know them all. That's just Yeah. Ridiculous.
0: So like that card allows you to go fairly wide and then you have a lot of lords imperious perfect is pretty solid and a lot of the time it was just like collecting company into like a lord and a thing that makes a token you have a wide board a bunch of power to go with what you already had and i don't know you just have like a bunch of must kill threats uh elvish arch druid is is the number one card and maybe they're just like not realizing that you have to like kill the two drop and maybe ignore the arch or whatever. I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of ways for people to make mistakes against it unless they have the experience.
1: Sure. Uh I think it also comes back around too to like me playing decks that close games. Like if I gave Elves enough time, there there are good engines. Like you mentioned, imperious Prefect. What's what's the other one that is uh Elvish Clan caller? Right. You could you could do that if you're in the market for a lord with a little bit of longevity. So so there's a bunch of ways for elves to like kind of work up and down the chain and, and get wide. And if you're not just closing games out, if you're doing like the Rakdos approach to Death Shadow, I could see you having issues. I, I've just found ways to get big enough and shut them down uh, at this stage. But very deck dependent for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I guess if you're if you're doing stuff like the Rakdos deck, you also just get brick walled by the token makers too. Yeah. If you if you don't have a way to actually get through. So that's another issue. Whereas your deck, like Fairy Guide Mother, Demonic Embrace, also the early beatdowns too. I mean, you have situated yourself to be much better against a deck like that than the Rakdos decks have.
1: Yeah, I, I should point out too that like, if you don't believe in Demonic Embrace or whatever, you could also maul the Skyclaves. I've seen some people doing that in Shadow. And uh, I, you just need some way to get into the air. Don't skimp on that.
0: Why would you maul instead of Embrace?
1: I, I don't have an answer for you but people have been. I, I guess if you were like leaning heavier on white mana, if you were like more of a Skyclave Apparition deck and your, your mana base was just better suited for doing that than for making double black, you could make a case for it. But I, I wouldn't. I would Demonic Embrace in all situations over the more mopey, I would say, Maul the
0: Skyclaves. <laughs> all right. Tell me about Vampires.
1: This is a deck that you look at it on paper and you're just like, meh. Nothing really exciting going on here. Some some mopey creatures, things Dusk. that don't seem like they should be good enough. Dusk Legion, Zealot, Vampire of the Dire Moon. We can name them all. Gifted Etherborn. All of these creatures really not super impressive on hey. their face.
0: Hey, hey, Gifted Etherborn is a solid card. Oh, come on. It,
1: it, it's fine. It's acceptable. And that that's all these creatures together but you put a bunch of acceptable creatures backed up by sorin imperious Bloodlord, and champion of dusk and you made yourself a real deck and we saw that in multiple formats we've seen it in pioneer i just think this deck is quite good surprisingly good honestly and game against everyone one of the huge edges this deck has now is if you are in the shadow world and people are building these ground-based shadow decks they're boned against you. They have no chance of getting through your wall of Vampire of the Dire Moon and Gifted etherborn. There's just no effective attacks there. Uh, so again, just another reason to go to the air. But th- this is a cool deck that is not quite a beatdown deck, not quite a midrange deck, not quite a combo deck, but little, little elements of all of that. Able to play long games very well with its card advantage engines, able to just sometimes run you over with Sorin. And it, it's it's basically fifty six cards and four Soren. Uh, I guess I'd I'd put Thoughtseize in the other uh, core category, but once you put them together, you have something that's very impressive.
0: Yeah, and Soren in the Champion of Dusk is a fine engine, similar to Collected Company and what it actually accomplishes. It's a little awkward because naturally drawing Champion of Dusk with no Soren is kind of awkward sometimes. But like you're doing a lot of Death Touch thoughtsies. Uh, slow the game down type of stuff. And like hard casting that card is not out of the question. And now you have Faceless Haven, which I think is Mm. very good too.
1: Yeah, big, big pickup for this deck. And those small synergies all pile up with Faceless Haven and like activating your Faceless Haven before you cheat in your Champion of Dusk feels really nice and comes up a bunch. And all of this stuff is, again, these small pieces come together to make a very impressive hole.
0: Yeah, I like this deck. I want to try it.
1: I like it too. I I was impressed. There's a lot of good decks in historic right now. I I think it's hard to really get this one wrong as long as you're aware of where the power lies and you have a good, good beat on the metagame, which is going to be the most challenging part, really, because nobody has any data to pull from right now. Yep. Uh, What about auras? I don't really have much to say about auras, and it's not because I either dislike or like it. It's just kind of there. I think it's fine. I don't know what to say beyond that. Honestly,
0: I feel mostly the same. It is interesting in that in theory, it should have a pretty good game plan against aggro where, you know, you just build like one big thing. Maybe you have some lifelink in there, some evasion to win races, but it's it's a little bit on the clunky side, and if your draw isn't like super perfect, or they kill your first two drop, I think you just fall behind a little bit too much, and there's no real coming back from that.
1: Yeah, it's it's lacking some of the engine ness of a typical historic deck. Like obviously, you do your Loras stuff, and th- there's other small synergies, but none of them feel quite as big as what the other decks are doing. So you you do need to have, I guess, a good game plan axis to go on and you you need to be confident that just like making this one big stupid life linky thing is going to be good enough and hard read to make right now given the uncertainty surrounding the metagame
0: so we have a lot of creature decks like i i guess that's to be expected once all the combo decks are banned and now uro's banned and uh like there are salt lists out there but obviously they lost a, a lot of punch a lot of power and azorius control is basically like the only non-creature deck on this list that seems like popular and good and it's just the best wrath of god deck right Mm -hmm. and you would think that that is the exact place that you would want to go in a format full of creature decks
1: makes sense to me and these decks look fine they they do some weird stuff in terms of like the main deck hate cards, like you see a lot of authority of the consoles in the main deck. You see a lot of graph diggers cage in the main deck. I I'm more on board with graph diggers cage than authority, but it, they, they do do these weird things. So I wonder, we talked a little bit last week about like Valakut awakening and its role in enabling you to play cards like that, that are very modal and sometimes quite frankly, dead. Uh, I, I wonder if there's a Jessica. I look at this that could do more with, a little bit more hand filtering, a little bit more not having to play through these dead cards. Because for me, the games I've played with Azorius Control, where I really question the deck is when I'm stuck with these dead cards, because I do think they're necessary to some extent. Like you just can't hang against other decks in the format if you don't have some way of interacting with this weird enginey thing they do. But you also just get buried sometimes and your draws don't come together. And I want to find a way to fix that a little bit more. So Jeskai has me interested, but the stock Azorius control lists, they're fine. They're they're cognizant of the format, is what I would say. And they're built in a way to address the things that the other decks in the format can do.
0: I think that that's sort of true, but then you also see a bunch of lists with like eight three-mana counter spells and stuff like that, and that, that just doesn't really cut it for me. Like if you were cognizant of what was going on in the format, you wouldn't have that much clunky interaction, you know? Like you don't necessarily have to beat up on other control matchups in 60% of your matches, you know? It's like the, the format is very much about creature decks. I would be focusing on beating those first and then fixing your other problems later.
1: Oh, maybe you already do, right? Uh, like that's certainly a possibility where you just already have your creature matchups pinned down and you can afford to go that route. I, I don't think it is, but I, I'm, I'm trying to put together a theoretical basis of why you would build in such fashion.
0: I, I think it's just like people focusing on trying to cover every single base imaginable without looking at what the format actually looks like and just being like, oh, I just need to build a creature hate deck and I'll be mm. okay. Like the like the nine lives prison deck, for example, would be like more <laughs> more likely something that I would lean towards playing than Azorius if the format continues to look exactly like this. But I think that you can do... Things with Azorius, where it's like play an extra spot removal spell, play an extra sweeper, maybe cut down on some of the counter magic, and then focus on those things in the post board games like dovin's Veto and more card drawing and stuff like that. But when when you're forced to main deck stuff like Authority of the Consoles, which is it's like okay against gruel and Sacrifice, like some of the creature decks, but you're not you're not beating up on mono red, like mono red's not really a deck in this format, right? So like, why yeah. why that card specifically? And it's like, my creature matchups are so bad because I have all of these clunky cards in my deck that I need something that really pulls its weight and really slows them down because otherwise I'm not going to have a chance. Like, that's what that says to me.
1: That one is weird to me. I, I get the Graf Digger's Cage way more than I get the Authorities. Uh, I, I would love to see you take a shot at building the control decks in this format. I, I think they're an interesting puzzle and one that I haven't really focused on, surprisingly, because that's where I tend to go, just because I think they were so hard answered by the Euro decks for so long. There was no real reason to invest time in making Azorius Control good. Uh, when I was playing Azorius Control, it was like at the release of Pactum Negation and doing Gideon stuff, which I was pretty on board with. I thought that was very powerful. And I'm, I'm surprised nobody's really looked at that again uh, in the post Euro era.
0: Yeah, it's, it's harder because if it doesn't come together, then again, you're stuck with like all these clunky cards and Gideon, it, you know, Gideon is fine when it's not being attacked, you know, but like when people are going pretty wide and attacking it, like, I guess, yeah, it, like forces them to overextend it into your sweeper or whatever, but right, I mean, realistically, they don't have to extend that much. And then you're just like down to Gideon, all your packs suck, etc. You just kind of like spirals out of control. Like I, I would just build a more normal deck, but just lean into beating up on the creature decks. And maybe that means playing like Baneslayer or Dream Trawler or something along Mm. those lines, because, yeah, the black decks have some removal, you know, like some of your decks have Murderous Rider in them, but like a lot of the removal is also Fatal Push. So things like that might just be unkillable and you might just have a free win against a lot of these decks.
1: All right. That's your homework assignment for this week. Bring me back a Azorius control list that you like. I would like to see where your head's at, as far as that goes.
0: Yeah, I can do that. Uh, I forget what card came out when I started building blue-white control decks the first time, but it was like going through maybe if something like got banned too, where you just get to go through like the laundry list of available blue-white control cards, and Mm. it's just like, oh, is Mindstone good? Is Sphinx's Revelation good? Like, what's my win condition? Blah blah blah. And I did that. I did a, a lot of that like work, so I feel like I could hammer it out in a day or two.
1: Good, good. I look forward to that.
0: In the meantime, I'll be playing some 50-minute games on MTG Arena.
1: (laughs) Enjoy those. Uh, That's kind of how it goes.
0: Hopefully my computer doesn't overheat and explode.
1: Yeah, there's been weird Arena stuff going on all week where uh, not only do you have to deal with the usual exploding stuff, but also just like my text disappears all the time and sometimes it just becomes non-responsive. So uh, it's unfortunate that at a moment where I'm, I'm pretty interested in the format, things have gotten a little rough from the technical side of things
0: yeah it's it's not great but i mean whenever a new release happens inevitably like there are server issues and people get locked out and stuff like that so i don't know there's they're still working through stuff but the one thing that never happened to me was when like the cards got super huge or like the the mana symbols like floated off the cards and stuff that just never happened i've
1: had that i've had the wrong mana symbols show up where like cards just decide to change their color arbitrarily that's usually accompanied by the absence of text uh, okay. And they do that. So uh, as soon as this program's out of beta, though, it's going to be sweet. <laughs> <telling>
0: you. <laughs> it, do you think once it's out of beta, they'll fix the economy too?
1: I'm sure it, it's all coming together slowly but surely.
0: Game.
1: Good luck!